0: This is a podcast from the Irish to the Rescue, the tercentenary of the Polish Princess Clementina's escape. This seminar was organised on the occasion of the tercentenary of the rescue of the Polish Princess Maria Clementina Sobieska from captivity in Innsbruck in April 1719 by a small group of Irish and French people in a most dramatic fashion. The event took place in Europe House in Dublin on the 30th of April 2019 and was generously sponsored by the Embassy of the Republic of Poland in Dublin, the Embassy of France in Ireland, the Alliance Francaise Dublin, Rathmines College of Further Education, the Technological University of Dublin, and Dublin City Council. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Richard Maher from Rathmines College of Further Education and Technological University of Dublin. His paper was entitled, The Rescue and Escape of Princess Maria Clementina Sobieska.
1: Thanks very much. You're, you're very welcome. So we arrive at a, it's a bit of storytelling, really. This is a swashbuckling adventure, so fast are your seats. Princess Maria Clementina Sibiesca must have felt a mixture of disbelief, sorrow and anger as the doors were closed behind her and her mother at the modest townhouse in Innsbruck in September 1718. On the orders of Emperor Charles VI of the Holy Roman Empire, ally of King George I of Britain and Ireland, the princesses had been arrested on their way through imperial territory to meet James Stuart III, George's direct rival, at Bologna in order to complete a marriage alliance between the royal houses of Stuart and Sobieski. Imperial guards were posted at all entrances to their lodgings and the, princesses, the Sobieski princesses were confined. But soon, messages by post and via their attendants reached them that an attempt was being planned to spirit Clementina across the Alps to her betrothed. As his family had been for generations before him, Charles Wogan was a resourceful and staunch supporter of the exiled James Stuart, the legitimate king by birth of Britain and Ireland, and he now began making his preparations to assist Clementina with his usual zeal. Wogan obtained false identities for for his purposes from Pope Clement XI, godfather of Clementina, he obtained official permission from Clementina herself and from her father, James, Prince James Louis Sobieski, to plan and carry out the rescue. And only these individuals, and the papal legate Cardinal Origo in Bologna, who doubted the attempt's feasibility, it should be noted here, and a small number of trusted attendants were aware of the plot. Its secrecy was tested many times, but Wogan maintained it through a mixture of, at times, well-feigned ignorance, at others by making outrageous promises, and sometimes with the telling of bald-faced lies. He travelled to Celestin near Strasbourg on the eastern frontier of the Kingdom of France, where Arthur Dillon's regiment um, was stationed. From it, he recruited the rescue party. And they were Major Richard Gaydon, Captain Luke O'Toole, Captain John Misset and his wife Lady Eleanor Misset, who was five months pregnant at the time, and Lady Misset's young serving attendant, Jeaneton. The gentleman role Hiberno-Norman Norman Kildare Palesman, kinsman of Wogan. And then uh, they were then joined by James Stewart's valet de chambre, Michel Visozzi. By the 27th of April, 1719, to cut things short, <laughs> all the preparation aside, the rescue party had moved into position at the Black Eagle Inn on the southern outskirts of Innsbruck on what turned out to be a dark and stormy night of icy winds, sleet and snow. The young French attendant of Lady Misset, Jeannetton, was to play the most important role of all, to trade places with Clementina and feign illness for as long as she could. But she hadn't been told of Clementina's true identity, lest it add to her apprehensions regarding the consequences. So she was told that she was to trade places with a young Countess who was eloping with Captain O'Toole, whom she liked very much. She had been promised both safety and a reward in gold for the part that she would play. However... When it came time to prepare Jeannette for the role, the plans almost completely collapsed. Jeannette was quite tall, and she was proud of it. And believing that it gave her an unusual point of distinction, she always wore heels to accentuate this feature. When Wogan and the rescue party told her that she was going to have to wear flat shoes since Clementina was much shorter, Jeannette had the most <laughs> ferocious outburst of rage and refusal, <laughs> refusal to cooperate. And she became so obstinate that for half an hour the group were in total despair. They stood about in horror as months of preparation seemed to fall to pieces over nothing over nothing less than fashion preferences. But at great length it was a tearful lady missit who finally succeeded in persuading the young woman, though Jeaneton remained annoyed. It wasn't the obvious madness of switching an attendant with a member with member of the nobility, or the consequences that might arise from this when it was discovered. It was the shoes. The shoes she was required to wear that nearly derailed the whole enterprise. Finally, Wogan and Jeanette left the inn into the night at 11.30 and they trudged through the the atrocious weather and muddy streets. Jeanette continued to curse the Ostrogoth shoes as she referred to them and the shabby English coat she had to wear. But they finally arrived at the house just after midnight. The weather was so bad that the guards had left their posts and taken shelter in an inn across the street assuming that no one would attempt to transport a royal princess in such atrocious weather. And Jeanette was in the door and up the stairs without any trouble. She was met by Clementina's chamberlain, Monsieur de Chateau Deux, an experienced attendant of the, court, the Jacobite court in exile of Saint-Germain-en-Laye in times gone by. Uh, he was at the top of the stairs and he escorted her into the princess's chambers. Clementina said agonised goodbyes to her mother, she put on the heavy English coat and left a letter which gave the impression to, that her mother had nothing to do with the escape. But chateau had to had to eventually physically separate mother and daughter to get Clementina out the door. Uh, Wogan stood three doors down for an interminable half an hour until, after the clock had struck one o'clock in the morning, Clementina emerged and off they sped towards the inn. The weather was beating down so furiously that at one point on their way to the inn... There was a sustained channel of water they had to cross on the road. And being in a rush to get across, Wogan directed the princess to step on a stone to reach the other side. But when the princess stepped on it, she sank into the mud up to her ankle, which sent Wogan into a massive confusion, of course. And they bumbled about getting her out of it, and off they went on their way. Her page, Konsky, was with them, Clementina's personal page, with a bundle of Clementina's effects in his hands which he neglected to tell anyone, contained all of the princess's priceless crown jewels. At about half one, they arrived at the inn where the harrowed rescue party were waiting. Addressing them all, the princess said, Welcome to you, my brave rescuers. May the good God who brought you to me be our guide from now on. While they prepared to leave, Konski, obviously terrified of the consequences he might face uh, if he were seen there, since he was staying behind in Innsbruck, he just flung this bundle of prized crown jewels and and, uh, and effects in behind the door and bolted out of the, the, the lodgings without saying a word to anyone. The party left the inn then at two o'clock in the morning. Clementina, Lady Misset, Wogan and Gaydon in the carriage, with Vitsatsi riding in the front of them and O'Toole riding behind. They were ten minutes out the road when Clementina asked her about her jewels, and Woden hadn't, Wogan hadn't a clue what she was talking about. So, The whole party uh, had to wait an excruciating half an hour while O'Toole galloped back to the inn. Finding the front door unlocked, he quietly let himself in and as deftly as possible groped around in the dark until at last he found the bundle behind the door and he rejoined the elated party where he had left them. They made slow progress up the steep slope of Mount Brenner but reached the summit at dawn on the 28th of April where Captain Misset who had been sent ahead, was waiting for them. While they changed horses for the next phase of the journey, Clementina fainted. <laughs> Panic ensued until Lady Miss had used a bottle of Eau de Carme, the smell of which revived the princess, who said, Ah, my little woman, and you, my, little, uh, my poor marmosets. Take courage, there is nothing to worry about. She used pet names after this point with them all, and Wogan became Papa Warner, the original name he gave when he first met her at her home in Ohlau and Lady Misset permanently became the little woman. The harsh weather which which battered them on the north side of Mount Brenner gave way to much gentler and milder conditions on its southern face. They only stopped to change horses and kept moving, entertaining the princess with stories. Wogan was completely paranoid, of course, though, and he fought sleep as best he could using snuff and tobacco, but at one point he dozed off with something in his hands, which clattered Clementina on the head. (laughs) He froze and stared for a mortified second and just murmured, it will never happen again. <laughs> but Clementina just laughed it off. Calamity seemed to hover around the rescue party as they sped towards the safety of the Italian states. One serious incident occurred uh, when the carriage was travelling on the old and narrow Roman road through the mountains. The road was bordered uh, by a wall on one side and a sheer precipice on the other down to the river Adige. At one point on this dangerous road, the coachman was speeding, as instructed, but took a dangerous risk by attempting to overtake a merchant wagon which hugged the wall. Those in the carriage only felt a jolt, nothing more, but then O'Toole rode up and started whipping the driver, cursing him in a hushed voice. Wogan emerged and asked what was the matter, but he knew O'Toole was not easily rattled, and seeing his distress, he waited until later to shield the princess from seeing his demeanour. Apparently the two outer wheels of the princess's carriage had flown out and dangled over the edge of the cliff and O'Toole riding behind thought for a horrifying second that the whole lot of them were going to tumble off the edge and plummet to their deaths when the driver urged the horses back towards the middle of the road after he passed the wagon and the outer wheel of the princess's carriage hit an old tree trunk which knocked it back onto the road to safety. Wogan instructed Misset and O'Toole to remain behind at Velesmila I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Velesmila, in anticipation of the emperor's first move to attempt to recapture Clementina, uh, the Irishmen were instructed to intercept any courier that might be passing through the town, as they would likely be carrying orders to the governors of Trento and Roveredo, uh, for the arrest of Clementina and her party. Their orders were not to kill, but to delay by any means. Meanwhile, the others continued to make slow progress. The Princess of Baden and her son, the young prince, were on the road just ahead of the rescue party, taking every fresh horse along the road ahead of them. There was also the danger that the Badens would recognise Clementina since they had visited her at Innsbruck on their way to Loreto. But in Velesmiele, Missiton O'Toole waited at the inn, masquerading as travelling merchants keen to attend a local fair. As expected... Towards two o'clock in the morning, they spotted a courier arriving, his horse completely exhausted beneath him. O'Toole, who spoke German, called out to him cordially to come and sit with them and take a drink, since he looked so tired and thirsty. The tired officer sat and gave out about the lack of fresh horses and the bad road, while Missus sneakily spiked his wine with a powerful eau de vie made locally in Strasbourg and he poured the rest of the contents of it into a large water jug that was sitting nearby. The officer drank down his wine, noting its peculiar strength, and the Irishman acknowledged this, saying, ah, yes, this was a local product, but cautioned him to water it down to mediate the strength of it, (laughs) which he did liberally. As his wits became progressively annihilated the Irish made a show of their drinking prowess and wanting to save face, of course, the officer had to at least attempt to keep up and within the hour, the poor man was completely incoherent and soon began vomiting violently. The Irishman quietly removed his orders from his satchel and destroyed them, all the while consoling their new friend and helping him up to bed, (laughs) where he could do no harm. Later that morning on the 29th of April the rescue party reached the town of Trento as the Badens were leaving and as before there was not a single fresh horse to be found for the next stage of the journey. Princess Clementina was obliged by the circumstances to remain in the coach while the sun's heat increased throughout the morning since many of the notables of Trento had visited her at Innsbruck. The local people were mystified by this strange situation. A carriage full of gentlefolks sitting in their carriage, refusing to get out, and chance glances in at who was inside. The group had to act quickly, so they came up with a plan to trick the governor, Prince de la Tour-Taxi. The prince was luckily indisposed due to an attack of gout, and Vissatzi was sent up to his residence on behalf of the Count de Sernais. This is the false identities that the Pope had issued the Count de Sernais. So he went up on behalf of the Count and his family to ask for some horses to be released from field work so that the Count might catch the Badens. After an initial refusal, Vassassi returned to say that the Count was up on his way to make a personal application to the Prince. Knowing well what would happen, the Prince was unwilling to embarrass the Count by a further refusal and so he relented and the party were moving again by one o'clock that afternoon with two fresh horses swapped for the two most tired ones. They pushed on to Roverido, where they had a simple meal of bread and tea to sustain Clementina, who had felt faint again. Uh, There were no fresh horses there either, so they had to continue with the same horses towards Ala, the last town of the emperor's territory, leaving Roverido at about half past three on that day. A detachment of mounted imperial dragoons gave them a moment's fright, but they passed by them uh, at a gallop without paying the slightest heed. And a few hours later, they were almost halfway to Allah when the carriage struck a stone on the road, accompanied by an audible crack. The carriage came to a halt. And Wogan got out to check the carriage, only to find that the axle shaft had broken in two. And suddenly behind me, his, he heard a piercing cry. He turned around, he looked back, only to see Clementina, who'd lost her footing descending the carriage, knee-deep in a stream rushing beside the roadside, the Princess Clementina. <laughs> Um, so she was pulled out easily enough, needless to say, but Lady Miss had helped to change. Uh, an attempt by Wogan and Vitsatsi to replace the axle only brought them a little further until it broke again at about 10 o'clock that night, and they all had to continue on foot in the darkness with the horses towards Alla. As they entered the town, it was clear then that they had finally caught up with the Badens, and the town was an absolute hive of activity. They found lodging away from the fuss where Clementina could refresh herself, Meanwhile, Wogan searched high and low around Allah for any type of carriage that would allow them to keep travelling. The only thing he could find was a shoddy, open, two-seated vehicle which he himself labelled as a most wretched conveyance. (laughs) Wogan wrote that it was in this ridiculous contraption and predicament that the cousin of Emperor Charles VI and of the Queen of Spain and granddaughter of King Jan Sobieski III, the saviour of Vienna, left Alla at 2 a.m. on the 30th of April. It was 10 miles from Alla to the Venetian town of Perry, and so the, the weary group set out slowly and quietly. Gaiden, who was playing the part of the Count de Cernes, was in his 50s at this stage. He twisted his ankle along the road and advised Wogan to move on, and that he would wait along the roadside for, for Visozzi to pick him up once their original carriage had been repaired, of course. Onward they went through the darkness of the night, the exhausted Wogan, who hadn't slept the whole time, walking alongside the two ladies in the wretched conveyance. They were watching for a part of the road where it was bordered on either side by thick walls as it demarcated the territories, the territories of Trentino of the Holy Roman Empire and that of Venice. And after some hours walking, they perceived with quiet joy what they were watching for. Once the little chariot passed the walls, they knew they had entered friendly territory, and Clementina, Wogan, and Lady Misset sang out a te deum in thanks for their safe conduct to Venetian territory. This is to say, ladies and gentlemen, that it is 300 years ago to this very day that the rescue mission succeeded and Clementina escaped imperial territory. On Sunday, the 30th of April, the three companions arrived at Perry at about 8 o'clock in the morning to the sound of ringing church bells. The small church in Perry was holding an early service in honour of the Princess of Baden, who they knew would be passing through the town on their way to Verona. Clementina had the chariot driven straight to the church where she attended the service, careful to remain veiled, of course. They took a small room in a local inn where they arranged for the dinner to be served at around 2pm. And finally, Clementina and Lady Misset were able to go comfortably asleep while Wogan awaited the arrival of his friends. At one o'clock, the rest of the rescue party rode in, carriage and all, safe and sound. And at 2pm, the whole party was reunited and sat down to dinner together. Wogan wrote that, The sudden meeting of the whole company together, after so many mishaps and adventures, and in a safe country, created in everyone a feeling of pure joy and perfect happiness, the likes of which is hardly ever found in life. They arrived at Verona at dusk on the 30th of April and all of them slept a full night soundly and peacefully for the first time in four days. They made for Bologna, avoiding the imperial territory of Mantua by taking the road through Pepoli and Caprara until they crossed the Po at Stellata and arrived at Bologna on the 2nd of May and took lodging at the Pilgrim Inn at 11 o'clock that morning. The inn was crammed full of boisterous English gentlemen who couldn't help themselves commenting on Clementina's loveliness, which to Wogan displayed a complete lack of manners. He commented sourly that the English feel that in Italy they can behave in whatever way they like. (laughs) (laughs) This situation wouldn't do, so Wogan paid a visit to his friend, Cardinal Origo. The Kilderman decided to play a trick on him, since the Cardinal had doubted that he would succeed in his plans to rescue Clementina. He called on the papal legate with a solemn expression upon seeing Upon seeing which, Origo said, "Monsieur Wogan, I have known you a very long time as an accomplished gentleman, and I was expecting you to find I was expecting to find you a man of your word." To which Wogan replied, "In what way have I failed, your Eminence?" "The Princess Sobieski," he said shortly, and Wogan allowed a small, a slow smile to creep across his face. He said, "She is here, Monseigneur, and I am a man of your word—a man of my word." The Cardinal leapt out of his chair and roared the words, "Key, key!" banging his hands on the walls as he did and he made such a racket that his pages ran into the room, wife-faced thinking that he was being attacked the cardinal agreed to obtain quieter lodgings for Clementina and her beloved marmosets and he had a small house near the city walls prepared for her it was thought best to keep her identity secret though in order to maximise the effect of her arrival in Rome on the envoys of George I and Charles VI the cardinal unwittingly found himself at the centre of controversy though he visited Clementina every evening between nine and eleven o'clock at night. In order to keep the secret of our, the secret of her identity, he asked his retinue to remain on the street while he continued on foot the final two hundred yards alone, with only a lantern to guide his way to the house. And of course, the Bolognese, being no more none the wiser, made the assumption that their beloved and pious cardinal had succumbed to the fruits of Eve, and that he was visiting a mistress near the walls of the town. James Stuart himself had travelled to Spain to lead a military expedition to Britain, aimed at his restoration to his ancestral thrones, and for that reason he was not there to welcome Clementina in person at Bologna. He had left powers and instructions with his chief minister, James Murray, to carry out a marriage by proxy in the event that Clementina escaped captivity. On the 9th of May, Clementina was married by proxy to James Stuart III. His representative, James Murray, had arrived with his sister, Lady Marjorie, the day before, with a much more suitable carriage with which to convey Clementina to Rome. They set out on the 10th of May, stopping along the way only where they deemed appropriate or entertaining. Uh, as they approached the city on the 15th, they stopped near the Pont Molle on the Tiber, where they, were, where they remained until 4 o'clock that afternoon, while cardinals Aquaviva, Gualtiero and other high notables of the church came to pay their respects to Clementina. At five o'clock on the 15th of May 1719, Maria Clementina Sobieska Stuart crossed the bridge onto the avenue of the Porta del Popolo and into Rome as Queen de Jure of Britain and Ireland. Wogan wrote that the entry to Rome was a veritable triumph. The avenue was lined on both sides by the fine carriages of the Roman nobility, and her passage was greeted with the cheers and acclamations of all who witnessed. Clementina took lodgings and remained at the Ursuline convent with her little woman, Lady Misset, until James Stewart returned to Italy. He returned to Italy to meet his royal consort for the first time near Montefiascone, north of Rome, where they completed an official marriage ceremony on the 2nd of September, at which Wogan acted as a witness. King James knighted Wogan, it and O'Toole and provided brevets of advancement to be used to obtain promotion in the military service of any of the major Catholic powers of Europe, probably except the Holy Roman Empire at that stage, <laughs> given what they'd done. In recognition of the incredible feat, however, of leading the rescue mission to its happy success, Pope Clement XI bestowed Rome's highest civilian mark of distinction on Charles Wogan by having him made a senator of Rome. Wogan, in recognition of the contribution made by his compatriots Gaydon, O'Toole and Misset, requested that His Excellency the Pope extend the same honour to them since they shared an equal part of the danger. On the 15th of June 1719, the four Irishmen were received on the capital to the ringing of ancient Roman trumpets and to the applause of all in attendance and were created Senators of Rome. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very, very much.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Irish to the Rescue, the tercentenary of the Polish Princess Clementina's escape. If you would like to listen back to more podcasts from the seminar, please go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts.